Two benevolent friends of the curious, the cautious, the roguish, and the selfless. For the first time in thirty years, we of the Dragon's Hand are putting out a call for adventurers. As any who receive this letter will be aware, this is not something we undertake lightly. Our order mostly pursues the betterment of society through the advancement of funds to worthy causes, including research and social projects. Only in the direst of circumstances do we take it upon ourselves to act on behalf of the floating islands outside of this capacity. Recent events have deemed it necessary. By now, you are all certainly aware of the re-emergence of the Fathomless Heaven. Though half a century old, the ship seems to be in flyable condition, though how it has managed to remain airborne with no discernible crew aboard is a mystery. The fate of the brave souls who set out to broaden our horizons fifty years ago is a project of no small importance. Something happened to those men and women out upon the Cloud Sea. Though we know not what, it is safe to assume that any sensible person would shudder to think upon a force that could vanish 2,000 people and leave nothing behind. Yet, despite this, the best our vaunted nations and even the Sky Senate itself can manage is a thrown-together blockade to keep curious onlookers from getting too close. As the bureaucrats bicker over decades-old agreements regarding the resources put toward the ship's construction to determine whose people will be the first to step aboard, whatever evidence of the city ship's fate that lies on her silent decks may even now be rotting away to dust. The fate of the Fathomless Heaven is of dearest concern to all in the sky, not only because it is a tragic disaster of monumental scope. We of the Dragon's Hand fear it may also be a harbinger, for the strange manner in which the city ship has appeared leads us to believe that it is not by the stroke of luck or the whimsy of the gods that she has returned to us. Something wants the city ship found, and if we are to keep our beloved island safe, we must know what and why. Hello, armchair adventurers, and welcome to Red Desert Roleplay, an actual play comp. Blip. <laughs> Actual play. I almost said an actual play cosplay. An actual play podcast. <laughs> Where friends from across Wyoming gather to collaborate on an epic interactive story. And we are playing in the GURP system. And we are playing in a home-cooked universe. Uh, cooked up by yours truly. And yours truly is, by the way, Aaron Volner, your game master. And I do have a little bit of a disclaimer for you. If you are a parent of children under the age of 16, please use discretion when listening to our show. As it is intended for adults and older teens. Now, the world we are playing in is the world of Verilon. And about 10,000 years prior to our story, the world of Verilon was covered in a blanket of thick fog. Nobody knew what it was, nobody knew where it came from, but it blanketed the entire land in about 10 years, forcing civilization to take refuge in the floating islands high above. Now, why did they have to do that, you ask? Because the fog kills most things it comes into contact with, and those that it does not become sick with the fog affliction and are turned stark raving mad. Which, 
as you can imagine, is not a desirable state of affairs if it happens to you. Now, let me introduce our players. We have four amazing players who are going to be playing with us this evening, and we are going to start off with Jerry Val Evans. Tell us who you are and who your character is. Hi, this is Jerry Evans. I will be playing Wilhelm, the only regular old human in this party, uh, formerly a diplomat. I'm trying to get back into that. The last excursion, what you call it? An excursion? The last, uh, yeah, the last trip he was on, he experienced something and then came back and was one of the maybe two or three people left alive on the ship with no evidence of what happened to the rest. Of course, what he experienced had changed him and he was a pretty person with his own set of challenges and issues. So he is trying to get back out there get back into the work he likes doing, and he has certain issues uh, and limitations to that since that last adventure he was in. So hopefully we can see him through this. We'll see. All right. Next up, we have Jessica Evans. Hello, I'm Jessica Evans, and I am playing the character of Fausta. She's a female Arai, and Arai is not a human. She is an owl person and she actually looks like a barn owl and she's part of a thing that we call a miracle clutch so she her parents were actually artisans and craftsmen who after fausta's clutch of three successful hatchlings were raised up into the strigi class so that's the highest class they became noble people and so Fausta grew up in kind of an interesting position because she grew up very privileged, but she always felt like she had never belonged or fit in with the people that she was around. She has older siblings who grew up in the class lower than her, so she has learned kind of the life of of an artisan and a craftsman, but she's also lived a very sheltered life, so she has gone to school, is a grad student. She has a lot of very lofty goals and ambitions. And her profession, her trade that she was really drawn to is as a healer. And because of her rank, she also has a lot of diplomatic skills. So yeah, that's kind of where Fausta starts out when this campaign starts is getting out into the world and figuring out what it means to live as a fully fledged adult in this society. All right. And next up, we have Jeremy Gomez. Hi, everybody. My name uh, for my character, his name is Chip. Uh, Chip is what is known as a Hadral. They are a crystalline structured being. He has a slight bluish translucent hue. He's a larger Hadral, so he's big for his kind. He's actually really easygoing, really uh, excitable character, really excited to play this guy. He is basically a forest harvester. So due to the fact that we have limited space in our world and the majority of it is covered in fog at all times, the Hadral, what they do is they work with the merchant class. So they're the working class and they go and they harvest the lumber. And then the lumber is taken to the merchants who go ahead and sell it for very high price. So he has limited scope in interaction with other species of this world. He does navigate the surface of the planet in the their giant airships, their harvester airships. So they're, he's known as what's called a clipper. And clippers rappel down off the bottom of these ships and they get on these, they attach themselves to the parts of these trees that are exposed by the fog and they have watchers. 
and the watchers are on the on the corners of the ship to make sure that they can clip these trees before fog rolls back in. So he hates wind. Wind is one of the things that really frightens him. And as a clipper, he does chop these trees with these hatchets that he wields. Then they pull the lumber up and take it to the merchants. The problem is, this is a very dangerous job. And he has lost a lot of family members to either being attacked by the fog or uh, dying in the, the action of repelling off the ship. And he realizes that the limited access that they have to harvesting lumber is crucial in the survival of his family and the survival of all other species on this planet. And I think that that is his main drive to push him forward to figure out how we can get rid of this fog. Nice. And last but most certainly not least, we have Donald Probst. Hey, everybody. I am Don Probst, and my character is named Tulin. That's actually a nickname. I won't get into his full name because it is very full. He is a Grawl, which is a sort of a lizard person of this world. And one of the interesting things about the Grawl is that because of their reptilian nature and their physiology, they are resistant to most forms of fire. As luck would have it, he was a young child and his parents were diplomats and their ship was attacked and crashed. Everyone survived, but his parents fell into a torpor that happens sometimes to Grawl. They call it the sleeping sickness, and essentially it is just a very, very deep hibernation. And no one is quite sure what causes it or how long it lasts. But since he was effectively an orphan, he was fostered by a dwarven couple. He was a smith, and she was an engineer. And through some trial and error because they had no idea that he was fire resistant. He would wander into the forge and just reach out and grab glowing hot metal with his bare hand. And that was quite alarming the first few times it happened. But uh, suddenly, as he grew, they all came to realize that because he doesn't have to wear all of the protective equipment, he's capable of doing much finer work than most people are. And so he trained with some of the best dwarven smiths and engineers. And one of his interests that stems from his being raised by dwarves, special clothing or suits to protect people from harsh environments. For example, near Cloudhelm, which is the dwarven city he was raised in, there is a, uh, a large lake that is inhabited by some merfolk. And one of the things he initially started thinking about was a way to go under the water to interact with them as an air-breathing creature. And then there were occasional mining accidents among the dwarves when they would be taken out by mine gas. They'd hit a pocket of mine gas. So that's kind of an interest of his. And he, uh, he kind of has just reached as far as he can go in the dwarven society. He's not a dwarf, but he's also not quite a grawl because he was raised as a dwarf. So he's a little out of place, a little bit of a misfit, and he is kind of uh, traveling around to see the world, to, to kind of see where his place is in it. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much for the introduction, guys. And I think we are going to go ahead and dive right in here. And we are going to start. You guys are in the kingdom of Verathi, and specifically you are on the island of Talonus in the uh, sort of the southern port 
of Talonis, and Fausta has been attending the University of Talonis. And it's getting towards the end of session, and there is something pretty interesting happening to Fausta right now. She is in an arena surrounded by some statues of like these big buff warriors and so forth. And there's uh, some people sitting in the stands around, not a whole lot of people, but a few spectating this. She has a rapier in her hand. And there are six other people that are here in the arena with her. And these people are just fighting it out. And so, Fausta, you see there are a couple humans. There's another Aurai. There's a Havarg. Uh, there's a Hadral. And there's a Dwarf who are all here. They're all wielding different types of weapons and stuff. And one of the humans sees you. And uh, he's kind of, he's not really making a move towards you. He's just kind of sizing you up, looking around. Uh, what do you want to do? Fausta is going to, um, well, she has her rapier already drawn. I think she's going to just like kind of turn her head and blink at him and wait to see what happens. Interesting. Ooh, he does not like that very much. Okay. So he decides that this is a challenge. So he runs towards you. He's got a, um, like a mace in his hand. And he's going to take a swing at you here. And uh, he is going to succeed. So how are you going to defend yourself? I think I would like to parry that. So I rolled a six out of ten. All right. So you successfully parry the attack, which makes it your turn. What do you want to do? I think I want to go ahead and lunge at him with the rapier. And I got an eight out of 11. All right. Let's see what this guy is going to do. So he fails to dodge your blow. And uh, this pretty much takes him out. So how do you want to like finish him off? Now, these are blunted weapons. So you're not actually going to kill him here. But how are you going to dispatch of him? I think Fausta. Oh, man. I don't think she wants to get flashy yet. I think it's just going to be um, dulled, dulled point at the chest and uh, kind of sit him down with the tip of her blade. All right. So he kind of drops his weapon and gives up. And when you look up, you see that there are now three opponents remaining of the ones who were there before. A couple others have also found defeat in the ring. Uh, the Aurai is still up. One of the humans is still up. And the dwarf has just defeated the Havarg. Ooh, can Fausta tell who is doing the best out of these three? Uh, it's probably a tie between the dwarf and the Aurai for who's doing the best of the three. Okay, so I think Fausta is probably going to go for the dwarf. As far as this Aurai goes, does she know this Aurai? Yeah, you, um, you've gone to school with him, so you're aware of him. Okay. Um, you're not, like, real good friends with him or anything, though. Okay, do I know his name? You, you do know his name, and what is his name? Let's find out. His name is... His name is Vamor. All right. I think she's going to go for the dwarf. All right. Give us a roll. Let's see what happens. So that's a 9 out of 11. And let's see, what does Mr. Dwarf do? Yeah, so he also fails to defend himself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how is Fausta going to dispatch of the dwarf? She's going to get a little bit more flashy, and I think if there's any way that she can, like, strike the rapier out of this dwarf's hand, and then just move on. All right. So after 
finishing off the dwarf, you find that Vamor has finished off the human opponent. So it is now just the two of you in the ring. And so he uh, kind of puts out, now Vamor is, uh, he likes to be a little bit fancy. So he's actually got two rapiers and he's kind of, uh, you know, sizing you up, dancing around. And he cocks an eyebrow at you and he says, you know, Fausta, I've always found you to be a stunning woman. I almost hate to defeat you. Uh, Fausta, I think, is going to just, like, most exaggerated eye roll. And I think she's going to say something along the lines of, like, save it for your fan club. You haven't defeated me yet. So he, uh, like, he's loving it. He just sort of, like, fluffs up his neck feathers. And he says, oh, make me work for it, would you? So I think at this point, Fausta is just going to take her stance and uh, kind of wave him on and say, ladies first. So he uh, kind of looks at you and he says, hmm, my sentiments exactly. And so he takes a swing at you. Let's see here. So his first blade misses. His second blade, his second blade hits. So how would you like to defend? I'm going to parry that. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so I got a 13 out of 10. So that was an unsuccessful parry. Uh-oh. Okay, so he does manage to get a hit in on you, but it is not enough to take you out. So you're definitely still in the fight, and it is your turn. Oh, man, he did a great job of taunting her. So I got another 13 out of, and uh, that skill's at 11. So she's she's a little flustered. All right. So, uh, Vamor takes a step back, he spreads his wings out. It's almost like he's stretching, you know, oh, oh my, I was hoping for a bit more of a challenge. I'll tell you what, in the interest of sportsmanship, why don't I give you a free strike? Last one of the evening, the entire evening. I don't think at this point she really knows what to do. She is probably standing with her rapier in hand just kind of calculating like okay so do i ignore this remark do i do i just like charge forward what i'm thinking and i don't know if i'm going to pull this off but it's if i do it's going to be really cool i would like her to kind of run at him and then stick the rapier in the dirt and then use the handle to like swing her feet and like kick him aha uh-huh. so we'll see how this works out um should not have done anything fancy. Ah, uh, that was a 11 and I needed a 9. So not working out for Fausta with this uh, dude. Interesting. All right. Uh-oh. So the uh, attack doesn't quite work there. And Vamor goes in and he flicks his blades at you. Once again, he hits with one and he misses with the other. Well, I'm going to try to parry that one again. And I rolled a 15. So. Oh, man. Okay. So he gets another hit in on you. And at this point, a uh, gong sounds at the side of the arena, signaling the end of the matchup. And uh, an attendant stands up and he says, All combatants, make your way to the boards to see your rankings for tomorrow's tournament. So Vamor uh, walks up to you and he says, Oh, good thing it's just the preliminaries. Hmm. Indeed. Very, very good thing indeed. Yes, yes, yes. 
I think Fausta, I don't know. I imagined her getting like knocked on her butt. I imagine her just like standing up and dusting herself off. Kind of doing like, you know, that the poofed up feather shake and then just speed walking away from this guy. All right. So as you're walking away, a familiar face steps out from the uh, stands to greet you. It is your attendant, Vagnera. Vagnera. All right. He says, oh, it was a good showing, Miss Fausta. Fausta is going to hand them her rapier and uh, the equivalent of her face guard and keep moving and just say thank you. So where do you think you're headed now? Are you headed straight to the boards to see? Yeah, I think she is on a mission to see what the ranking is and then um, move on. All right. So when you get to the boards, there are three boards set up. There's, um, you know, successful entrants, people who've been accepted into the tournament based on their performance today. There are people who've been declined entry into the tournament on the second board. And then the last board shows people who have been declined on a technicality. Um, And these people, they told you at the beginning that um, if you're declined for a technicality, uh, in some situations you can still be entered into the tournament if you can clear up whatever the technicality is. And, unfortunately, you find your name on that third board. You have been declined due to a technicality. Well, that's disappointing. She's going to show that disappointment, you know, very heavy sigh, shake of the head, and, yeah, probably say something along the lines that I just said. That's very disappointing, and I guess the judges didn't agree with my performance, so we are done with our business here. Are you certain it was due to your performance, Miss Fausta? You were removed on a technicality, after all. Perhaps it would be wise to speak to the tournament officiants? Okay, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt, so I think she's going to kind of slough and huff her way over there. All right, so the efficient you're talking to, he kind of looks a little bit bored. He's just like nodding like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. At the table next to you, there's a dwarf who was in the uh, final preliminary match with you who's like pounding the table. He's going, what do you mean I didn't qualify? I took down a freaking Avarg. Are you kidding me? Oh, Great galloping gondolar, what's this world coming to? He's just not having a happy time. So the officiant kind of like glances over. He's trying to ignore what's going on there. He flips through his papers. Let me see, let me see. Ah, fast. Okay. Yeah, so for university entrance, part of your entrance qualifications is that you have to be in good standing with good grades at the university, and it appears... Uh, that there is some kind of recent mark on your record. Uh, what is it here? Uh, oh, your faculty advisor has not issued you a graduation project yet. Hmm. So until you accept your graduation project, we can't accept you as an entrant into this event. Oh, I see. That's fine. Well, thank you for that acknowledgement. Um, thank you for your time. I will be taking my leave now. I hope we'll see you again, the officiant says, although he doesn't say it with very much enthusiasm. Fausta is just going to stride off, like, very head held high. She's still just, like, dusting herself off, kind of preening, but, you know, walking like she's mildly irritated. So, um, Vagnera gives you a few moments here, and then he says, Pardon my saying, miss, but it's rather unlike you to go for this long without uh, conducting yourself appropriately on an assignment. Why have you not accepted your graduation project yet? 
well because I am not entirely sure what it is yet and I I haven't thought to ask because my advisor is a very busy person and there's just been a lot of loose ends that we need to tie up and what have you. I see. Would it perhaps then be a good time to go speak with them this time? We'll have to go speak with them today. Oh, Wagnera, you've been with me too long. That is already on the agenda. Let's go. Very well, miss. All right, so are you headed straight to the university then? I imagine she's probably going to at least change her clothes, um, freshen up a little bit, and then off to the university. All right. So you get to uh, the university and you find the office of your academic advisor. His name is Professor Everick, and he was one of your favorite teachers. Uh, he kind of took you under his proverbial wing early on. Uh, he is a human, though, uh, so he doesn't have literal wings to take you under, but he you know, has proverbial ones. And you find his office at the end of this hallway that sort of curves around this part of the university that looks out over a, uh, a cliff onto the fog past the edge of the island. Okay. Is he really big onto formalities? Uh, not really. Not really? So, like, could Fausta just, like, knock on his door and then kind of sidle in? Probably, yeah. Or just stri stride in without even knocking, like... Yeah, I think, and you two, I think, are pretty close, so I don't think he would have a problem with you. Just, like, knock, knock, walk in, <laughs> if you wanted to do that. Yeah, I think that's what Fausta does. Um, does he have any sort of, like, teapot or anything? Because I think she would probably walk in and pour herself, you know, a cup of tea and sit down and, and kind of make herself at home. He's got, like, a little, um, it's kind of like a sidebar, except it's for tea. So there's always like a little candle going there with some water heated up. And he's got like different jars of all these different teas along the wall. And um, his desk, you notice, of course, it's just covered with stuff right now because it's the end of session. And he's, you know, got papers to grade and he's got graduation stuff. He's in a corner uh, looking through. He's up on kind of a little step stool. He's looking through a bookshelf and he's scooching aside some glass jars like probably not as carefully as he should, but, you know, being somewhat careful to try not drop them on the floor, trying to look for something back behind there. Okay. Um, I think Fausta is going to just start making general conversation, like, good afternoon, Professor Everick. Oh, good afternoon, Fausta. Oh, I thought I might be seeing you here soon. I take it that the tournament preliminaries are over. Yeah, about that. Um, I didn't qualify. I think she's going to take a sip of her tea and glance up at him. Hmm. And I suppose you're wondering why. No, I know why I didn't qualify. Um, was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the manor. Well, yes. So he, uh, comes down off of the step stool there. He accidentally knocks a uh, jar off of the uh, bookshelf as he's getting down. And so there's kind of like a brief rotten egg smell as whatever's in there <laughs> gets out into the air. And he uh, shuffles over to his desk and he says, Fausta, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you really used any of your lessons here from university? I mean, really used them. I think I do a fine job teaching students the art of healing. Hmm. Yes, but, but to teach students is one thing. To make use of your lessons in a practical setting, that's an entirely different thing, isn't it? 
And you have learned many things beyond just the art of healing here. After all, the university does pride itself on having well-rounded students. Name one lesson that you've used outside of an academic setting recently, say, in the last six months. Well, um, I mean, I... Paper cuts. Um, Everick, will you please just speak plainly? What are you getting at? You know, I uh, was a teacher for many years before I realized the true purpose of an education. You see, too many here in academia believe that education is a goal or an end of itself. And to a certain extent it is, but I firmly believe that we have not done our job as professors if we cannot have our students take what they learn out into the real world and apply it. What I fear from watching your progress over these last several years, as amazing as your progress is, Fausta, is that you have ingrained yourself too deeply in the academic side of what you're learning, that, that you haven't learned how to apply your lessons in the real world. As such, I have decided to select a special project for your graduation. Something that will challenge you to really utilize your skills in a setting that is perhaps a bit unexpected or unfamiliar for you. I think she's going to poof up a little bit just like out of excitement and, uh, oh, are you, are you talking about leaving the university? Why, uh, yes. You'll be making quite the trip to complete this project, I believe. Well, what is the project? Hmm. I know you've studied some history here. Uh, tell me, how much do you know about the Fathomless Heaven project? I mean, I know that the Fathomless Heaven is still one of the greatest mysteries um, of our time. And, you know, it's been all over the headlines that... uh. It's reappeared. Um, yes. The great city ship, the crew of 2000, sets off 50 years ago in search of undiscovered land above the fog and vanishes, only to reappear with none of the crew aboard. <laughs> Almost sends tingles down the neck, doesn't it? Oh, you know, I've always meant to ask this. Do the hour I get tingles on the neck? We <laughs> do. Oh, oh, lovely. It is such an interesting sensation. I would hate to think that you miss out on it. Um, now, what was I saying? Oh, yes, the Fathomless Heaven Project was uh, an international project. It was put together by a number of different nations, and Varathi uh, was one of them. There were a number of people from this university who actually went on the expedition, in particular, a good friend of mine. The night before the Fathomless Heaven launched... He and I shared a drink. And, well, if you knew this particular gentleman, you would know that his uh, lips got a bit flappy when he was into his cups a bit. He said some things that he likely shouldn't have. Now, let me ask you this, Fausta. What was the true purpose of the Fathomless Heaven's voyage? Well, it was to find other, other parts of land that haven't been touched by the fog. Hmm. But does that make sense? After all, wouldn't it be more economical to use smaller ships that could ferry supplies to each other for a long tour, a long-distance scouting expedition of that sort? Why construct such a massive vessel requiring so many different resources for that? Well, I imagine colonization purposes. Hmm. 
Perhaps, perhaps a decent enough theory. Well, I think that the true purpose of the vessel was, hmm, a bit more sinister than that, perhaps. I'm not entirely certain, but my friend, well, he was very concerned about the safety of all aboard. He was concerned about what might happen if the true purpose of the vessel ever came out. I am very, very interested in finding out precisely what it was that he knew. Now, he took meticulous records of everything. There is a uh, group known as the Dragon's Hand. Have you heard of them? Just in passing. Yes. Well, since none of our illustrious nations can seem to agree on who should go to investigate the city ship, the Dragon's Hand, I have heard through back channels, have taken it upon themselves to set up their own investigations. Your project is to put together a team and by way of the Dragon's Hand find your way onto the Fathomless Heaven. I want you to discover what it is that my friend, the Professor, really knew about the ship's primary objective. What exactly was the ship's primary objective? <laughs> well, we'll find out once you complete your project, won't we? I think she's just going to side-eye him and then go, I suppose that's fair. Very well. Now... In the spirit of this project, the university will not be providing you with the use of a ship. You will have to procure one on your own. A ship, a crew, and the other resources you will need to man it. I would suggest that you find some sort of physical protection as well. After all, we don't know what you might find aboard the ancient vessel. Well, not ancient, I suppose. It's only 50 years old. Oh my. Never get old, Fausta. Never get old. Okay, so I need a ship, a crew, and members to help investigate this. Where do I start? Hmm. Well, it wouldn't exactly be in the spirit of the project if I told you that, now would it? However, I will do this. He goes over, he shuffles through some papers in his desk, he pulls out a uh, paper describing your project there, and he signs it, gives it his signature there, and he says, There. Now, you can certainly take part in your tournament if you wish. <laughs> I think she's going to hug him. Just like, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I promise I'm going to do a good job. And I think she's going to just like, you know, drop the teacup, not like hard, but on the table and then kind of rush out the door. Thank you, Professor Everick. Have a great end of the semester and just leave. <laughs> All right. So once the excitement cools down, where do you think the first place she would head is? Um. I think she'd head back to the tournament. Actually, yeah, I don't even think that, that, that the excitement would have cooled off yet. I think that's exactly where she's going with her um, paper. Right. So we are actually going to hop over to another character for just a moment here. Because on the route back to the tournament, uh, you are going to run across somebody else. So, uh, Chip. You have gotten into South Talonis here, and it's, it's not been a very good day for you. Uh, one of your cousins was lost in your last expedition, and you found out from the lumber merchant when you got back that your most recent haul, um, you're just like barely going to break even on it. So there's not necessarily going to be enough to, to have like a service for this person if you wanted to. Like you can... 
go bury the now the hadral break down into dust when they die so like you can go bury the remains you can do something like that but you know you won't be able to do anything like beyond just like real basic stuff for him so so how do you think chip would react to this like what do you think he does at that point I think he's extremely upset. The Hadral have a real strong family value system. And when they lose somebody, you know, it, it's really difficult for them. So he's definitely going to struggle. And um, he's, of course, going to try to seek out a way to help his family member be buried. He's not happy. You know, he wants to figure out why um, he's, he's having a hard time processing. So he wants to kind of push forward. But he wants answers. And I think he's kind of slowly wandering this uh, merchant's quarters a little bit further out past where he normally wouldn't go. So he's uh, kind of exploring further off uh, than he normally ever does. And for whatever reason, he just keeps walking. Okay. So as he's walking, uh, Chip wanders into a part of the city where... They're setting up for a big event, like there's food stalls going up and there's stages being built in different parts of the downtown and there's all these different things going on. And Chip remembers that uh, this is a festival day. It's a festival of the wings, which commemorates the end of the wingless rebellion when the land dwellers who had fled into the sky threw off Aurai rule and took several islands for their own sovereign territory. And uh, they call it the Festival of the Wings because part of the treaty that ended it was that everyone in the sky would be treated as though they have wings. And so you see that they're setting up for some kind of competition nearby where it's, uh, they've got like these ropes strung between these two tall buildings. Now this marketplace, it's several stories high and there are like some different sky bridges that go between different shops and stuff as you go up. But they've found like a relatively clear spot and they've got all of these cables strung between different places here. And you see all of these people like limbering up and getting ready to uh, stretching and like they're getting ready to do some kind of physical contest here. And you see a guy shouting out saying, hey, still accepting entries for the tightrope contest. A prize of 500 gold for the tightrope contest. 500 gold? He's got to be kidding to walk across a rope. I could do that in my sleep. One of the contestants hears you and she's a uh, she's a wood elf who's like stretching. She's doing like the whole uh, gymnast thing where she's got like a leg stretched up in a position where it shouldn't even like feasibly be able to bend that way. She's going, I'm sure someone like you running across a rope, I would pay to see that. Would you? How much would you pay? I'd pay 50 gold to see that. Well, ma'am, I can definitely oblige. My name's Chip. How are you today? Richer once I win this contest. Thank you, Chip. Awesome. Well, where do I, uh, where do I sign up? <laughs> if you're really determined to embarrass yourself, right over there. I can definitely walk that way and get registered. And don't, don't go very far. I'd I, I kind of like to talk to you. All right, so the... Um... So the contest people there, they kind of look at you askance. They're like, oh, hmm, really tall hydraulic He's going to, okay. You know, they're kind of like, all right, you know, you know, it's up to you. You want to enter this? They get to, they take your name, they get you entered in, and they kind of show you where the starting area is. So the rest of the contestants are gathering over there, and you see there's one guy who he's kind of explaining the course. He says, all right, 
Now listen up, the first leg of the course, you're going to run across these ropes here that go in a big spiral up to that spot there, and that's when you get to the oil ropes, all right? You're going to have to go across these zigzag ropes that are all covered in oil, and that's when you get to the fire ropes, all right? So when somebody gets to those ropes, we're going to set the ropes on fire, and you've got to make them across before the ropes break. And then, after you make it past the fire ropes, well, then you just got to make it past one really skinny rope, and you got to grab that flag from up there and toss it down to the crowd. Does everybody get that? That sounds like a blast. When do we start? Well, we start as soon as that gong goes off. They're just getting some more people for the crowd. You see, there's some people who are running around and they're, oh, wow, you know, they're getting people all excited for the, excited for the competition, getting them to gather around. So there's like a crowd who's gathering in the streets to come see this. That's awesome. So Chip gets, stretches a little bit, does a little twist, takes off his backpack, drops his bag of axes, says, okay, I think I can do this. Flexes a little bit because he's a little bit bigger. And then he walks up next to the elf again and says, you know, tries to start a little conversation with her as they're getting ready to start the race. So are you from around here? Says, oh, no, I come in for the festival about once a year. After all, I usually win a few things while I'm here. Are all elves as pretty as you? <laughs> no, most of them aren't half as pretty as me. Well, I find you very enchanting. I just want to let you know. Well, I do appreciate that, dear. I only hope you have an enchantment of some kind. After all, you're liable to get caught up there. Well, this is what I do for a living. I do climb trees. Oh, but these aren't trees. And look at that. She kind of points up and clicks her tongue and does like this little, oh, my goodness, shake of her head. Well, I like to use ropes. I mean, I am basically... A clipper. I mean, that is my profession, and I'm pretty excited to just get a chance to hang out with all you wonderful people and compete or have fun or just exercise. I mean, that's that's what I want to do. That's why I'm here. And it's about that moment when the gong goes off. Oh, I guess that means we need to go. So he jumps up, gets excited. He tries to uh, head towards the, the trees. He kind of gets, gets his knee uh, pushed in by a dwarf and does a little little shake and go and jumps up and runs and grabs a tree and he gets to the first set of ropes. All right. Now, Chip has perfect balance. So under normal conditions, uh, Chip actually doesn't need to roll to go across ropes and things like this. So for the first, like the spiral part where it's just regular dry ropes, Chip is just like out ahead of everybody else. <laughs> he just like takes the lead. He's getting out there. There's, you know, a couple of them that are, um, you know, kind of right behind him, but he easily takes the lead going forward. And then he makes it to the oil ropes. And the oil ropes are... It's kind of one part dexterity and another part maze solving because it's like a spider web almost. Like there's no clear path through the oil ropes. So there are different ways that you can make it through to get there. So what's going to be, what's going to be Chip's strategy to try and get through this? I'm just going to go straight for it and try to kind of gird along the edge on the side because, uh, you know, they, they had to tie these ropes pretty good. If I can just scoot along here on the side. I ought to be able to do it rather easily. I've got really big forearms, so I'm not going to try to crawl across it because I'm real big. I'll get tied up. So I'm just going to kind of grab on and, and use my big forearms and just kind of kind of skimmy across the underside of this rope. 
All right. So uh, give me a dexterity roll. Seven. Okay. So, yeah, you definitely succeeded that. <laughs> So you're uh, making your way across the oil ropes, no problem. People are laughing down below because as you're just making your way across the edge of the oil ropes, there are people behind you who are hitting the oil ropes and just like falling and hitting their face on the ropes and like falling down into the safety nets that they've put up. And so people are laughing and then they, um, you can see some of them landing in the safety nets down below and people are like, you know, throwing vegetables at them and stuff. <laughs> like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And the only one who seems to be keeping up with you is the wood elf. And she's kind of like right behind you as you're going through the oil ropes and you make it through to the other side. And that is when you get to the fire ropes. So there's a, um, there's a Brindy sitting there at the end of the fire ropes. And for our listeners, the Brindy are, they're a species of uh, humanoids. They're, they run about six to eight inches tall. So they're itty bitty little guys and um, they are excellent jumpers. So this little guy, he sees you coming and he sets the rope on fire and then he just like leaps across to another uh, window to get out of the way. So the uh, rope is catching fire as you're running up to it. What's your plan like? How are you going to get across the fire ropes? Well, first, you know, he, he's definitely friendly. So he definitely says, hi, little guy, you're, you're, you could really jump. So he gets excited and he says, all right, well. There's only one way to do this. Let's just go straight at it. We're just going to run across as quick as I can and uh, try not to uh, burn my feet because, you know, he's pretty excited and he, do he doesn't want to ruin his, his leather uh, overalls. So he's like, I'm not going to do this uh, while I get burned because I don't, don't want it. So he kind of rubs, rubs a little of that pine oil on his feet and uh, decides to uh, just have at it, run across that rope. All right. Uh, give me another dex roll, if you would. Um, Ten. Okay, so you're making good progress as you go across the first few feet of the rope. Unfortunately, you decided to rub oil on your feet before going across, and oil is flammable. So your <laughs> boots catch on fire, and um, they just start like trying to burn off of your feet as you're running across. And uh, the wood elf takes the lead. She's just sort of like, just doing the, um, like the walking across the hot coals thing. Sort of like, <gasps> and, um, never letting her feet touch the rope for very long. She's going, you're doing better than I thought. As she goes ahead there. Well, thank you. I would rather enjoying it until my feet caught fire. But no dwelling <laughs> on the, the bad stuff. We're just going to keep on going. So the rope holds just long enough for you to make it past and it snaps like the instant you get across. And you are now there at the super skinny rope that leads up to the flag. The uh, wood elf is just stepping onto one of the super skinny ropes as you're getting there. So are you going to deal with your flaming boots or are you just going to keep going? Yeah, I'm definitely going to grab a hold of that bark on that tree and just rub my feet so that the fire goes out wash my hand, kind of scrape my hands on the bark to get the rest of the oil off and say, you know what? It's probably time to uh, skimmy up that rope. All right. So we are going to make one last dex check here. It is going to be you versus our wood elf. 11, barely. What's your dex at? It is, oh, I have it right here. Your dex is at 11. So you hit it right on. So she actually does just a little bit better than you. She rolled a little bit under her uh, target number than you did. So she actually beats you there. 
Not by very much. She grabs the flag and she tosses it down to the crowd and everybody's cheering. People are just like super jazzed by this. So she kind of uh, looks over her shoulder at you and from somewhere on her outfit, you're not entirely sure where because she's wearing, you know, kind of a tighter like gymnast's type of rig. She pulls out a coin and she flicks it at you and she says, down payment for getting to see you run. Why, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> He smiles, winks up at her, and just kind of slowly descends off of the, the skinny rope. All right. So as you guys are making your way back down, you find that there's a dwarven contestant down there who uh, he's not very happy about losing this contest. Uh, it looks like he's been into his cups a little bit. He's like, they already disqualified me from the fighting tournament, and now you're going to tell me that you're going to disqualify me from the rebrunning tournament just because I couldn't use my feet to stand on the rope. I mean, what's wrong with sitting on your bum and scooting across the rope? What's the matter with that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, officials are kind of like, whoa, whoa, sir, calm down. Calm down. It's, oh, don't tell me to calm down. And he uh, reaches over and he grabs like a, um, like a thick log that's holding up like a raised dais that where they were going to do like the awards ceremony thing. And he pulls it out of the ground and he just starts like randomly swinging it around at people. Go, oh, I want to win something. Somebody let me win something. Well, Chip sees all this commotion and he's afraid he's going to hit somebody. So he reaches into his bag and grabs his hatchet and uh, without thinking, runs over and takes a swing at the log while, he's, while uh, the dwarf is crazily swinging it around in the crowd. All right. So give me a roll on your hatchet skill. Eight. All right. So you just like effortlessly walk up and just hew the, uh, hew the log in half with the hatchet and it just goes tumbling out. So he's just holding like a little dick of a log left now. He looks down and he's, what did you do to me? Oh, today's just not my day. I think I need to go home and lay down. And he, uh, looking very dejected, starts to walk off and people are just, uh, you know, and so somebody walks up to you and claps you on the shoulder and says, oh, thanks for taking care. We have problems with him every year. You know, this seems to happen. Well, he seems like a really lively fellow. I wish you would just mellow out just a bit. Oh, you and everyone. Can I buy you a drink later? I would love to have you buy me a drink later. That would be amazing. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So a couple conversations like that go by. Now, this whole event has been witnessed by Fausta, who saw the beginning, you know, the path back to the tourney grounds was um, right in the uh, path of this competition. So she kind of got caught up into the crowd. And so, Fausta, you got to see um, Chip's skill running up the ropes, and you also got to see his uh, skill in taking care of the dwarf there with the hatchet. So, like, what's your reaction to seeing all this? I think she, like, has a little notebook that she carries with her. And she goes, crew? Question mark. And then I think she's going to introduce herself and try to get to know this guy a little better. I think she's going to walk up to Chip and just be like, hey, that was, that was impressive. Why, thank you. I rather enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I've never done anything like this before. You, you've never done anything like this before. You just won second place. Well, I generally just work all the time and I hang out with my family. I don't really normally 
travel into these big cities or even even associate with anybody outside the working class or merchant people. I see. Um, what what do you do exactly? Well, my name's Chip, and I'm a clipper. I uh, work for my family-owned company, and we uh, we harvest timber, and then we sell the timber to the merchant class, and well, that's pretty much all I do. I've never met a hydral that works with lumber. I thought they always worked with rocks. Well, you know, that is a common misconception. Yeah, I guess it is. So is there like a lumber season? Well, you know, it's it's kind of a hard thing. We actually uh, navigate the uh, to the higher regions of the mountains, and then we, we go down to Timberline, and when there's enough wind to blow the fog out away from the forest line, we'll rappel down. I'm a clipper, so I rappel down. I chop the lumber. I tie it to ropes, and then they pull it back up onto the ship. And so we just kind of go where there's no wind. I hate wind. Oh, well, that's strange for a... Never mind. Um... How how is business going, Chip? Well, unfortunately, it's it's not going great. I keep uh, having issues of being able to make quota, and it's been really hard on my family because we have to work a lot more to make sure that we can harvest as much as we can. And I just lost a really close family member, so where I'm in the process of trying to find a way to arrange for funeral arrangements. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, praise Thessalon, the goddess of war, that no one else was claimed in that tragic accident. Um, are you looking for work? You know, I am looking to uh, make some money to help my family out. So, yeah, I am looking for work. Do you know where any work additionally would be? Well, how would you like to be part of a scientific expedition? Wow, do you think I'm very sciencey? No. Um, I think that you are very talented, and we could certainly use somebody who knows his way around a rope and the landscape underneath the fog. I am really good with maps, and I, I do know my way around the forest. I, I think I could definitely help navigate you. I think she's going to just, like, try to be as casual about punching him in the, in the arm, like, friendly gesture thing. That sounds great i'm fausta and i am going to be your boss well nice to meet you fausta and he just smiles and of course he punches her right back oh god does she fall down (laughs) like how hard does he punch her well he's a big hydral he's made out of rock crystal not sure uh she's gonna react very well Yep, Fausta falls on her back. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to knock you completely off your feet. Here, let me help you back up. Oh, thanks. Yes, Chip, I think this is going to be a great partnership. Um, Anyways, we'll we'll meet up. I have something to do. Are you where are you staying in the city? Well, um, we generally just sleep on our ship since we don't have to pay for pay for much and they they let us uh, dock in the in the port for free especially if we were loading or unloading material oh you have a ship i do it's a very nice clipper ship set up with lots of lots of uh pulley systems to help us engage and uh it's actually a really fast uh nimble vessel oh could i take a tour of it sometime like within the next 24 hours 
absolutely. You know, I know we're still, uh, we're, we have to have funeral arrangements set up and we're going to do a, uh, a dusting for that. And, uh, so probably in about two, two to three days, based on our bereavement, um, you can come on by the ship and, uh, and I will definitely show it to you. Great. Well, um, does it have an address? Is it what, what air bay are you in? So we're located next to the mill. We're parked in uh, the third position, so the third dock, uh, air dock on that. So uh, just come on down to the mill, and I will give you a, a tour of the boat, the vessel, the airship. Perfect. Beautiful. Well, um, I mean, if you're not doing anything else, I have I have places to be. You're more than welcome to tag along, but uh, there's a tournament that I have to get to, so it was great meeting you, Chip. It was very nice to meet you, too. Fausta, I cannot wait to uh, to see you again soon. You have a wonderful day, and I, I hope that uh, the great Thessalon guides and protects you on your way and your travels. And I think she's just going to like wave wave off as she's walking by and take out her little check sheet and be like, crew, check, and then dip, question mark. So we are going to, we're going to cut over to Tulin now. So Tulin... Uh, you arrived here in uh, South Talonis because you've got a meeting with an Aurai craftsman. And, you know, you've heard about this guy. You think maybe that uh, you might be able to learn something from him. Uh, but you've got a little bit of time to kill before the meeting actually happens. And you've got, uh, you find yourself in the midst of the Festival of Wings. Where do you think you'll go? Like, what are you going to seek out first when you get to this festival? I think first he's just going to be kind of awestruck because there are so many different species that he's never seen before. So he's just kind of going to walk around with his mouth agape at uh, having seen a real live R.I. And then he will probably look at some stalls trying to find something, you know, mechanical, maybe some locks or some some mechanical toys or something along those lines. So as you're looking through the booths, you come across a, a locksmith's booth and there's a customer there who he's not particularly happy. He throws this padlock down on the desk and he says, I want my money back. This thing doesn't work. And the locksmith says, well, okay, what's, what's the problem? What seems to, well, your little pin in there, it gets stuck when I try to do this, see? And so he tries to like close the lock and it's really hard to close because there's this little pin. It's, oh, well, that, that, that is a minor flaw in the design. See what you have to do in order to get it to work. And he shows that there's this little trick you have to do with the lock to get it to try and do its thing. So do you have any uh, reaction to seeing all this? A bit of a smirk. May I take a look, please? So the uh, locksmith kind of looks at you and says, and who might you be? Oh, I am sorry. My name is Tulen. I am a craftsman and I come from Dragon's Peak. I am very interested in learning about mechanical things and locks and so forth. May I examine it? So um, the locksmith kind of looks at you askance and the other guy looks at you and looks at the locksmith and he says, well, he certainly can't do a worse job than you did. He snatches the lock and hands, his, hands it over to Tulin and says, what can you do with this thing? Well, let's see. 
And he starts, uh, pulls out some, some lock picks and some small tools out of his bag and puts the little loop in his, uh, in his eye and starts getting down there and tinkering with the mechanism. Ah, yes, there's the problem. And let's see, do you want me to make a roll to see if I can repair the lock? I'd say give me a lock picking roll for that. We can use lock picking for fixing locks too. That's kind of the knowledge of locks. Okay. Uh, I rolled a nine. My lock picking skill is 12. All right. So it is just no problem for you at all. You uh, go through, you manage to fix this thing where it works. You manage to fix the design flaw that this thing has and the lock just works beautifully. Now it goes in and out just like a lock should. And the customer is super happy and he uh, kind of turns to the locksmith and he says, huh, maybe you should sell your shop to this guy. And he pulls out uh, 10 gold pieces and he hands it to you and he says, here kid, go get yourself something nice. Oh, thank you. Perhaps I will get myself a lock so that I can learn about it. I would also make sure to keep that lock well lubricated. Oh, oh, good tip. I hadn't thought about that. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So the guy walks off and uh, just like a second or two after he walks up, um, another guy comes up to you and he says, Hey, hey, I saw what you did there. You know what you ought to do? There's a, a puzzle forging competition happening just up the street there. You ought to enter that. You'd be great. A love forging. I used to do that back home to sharpen my skills. Please lead on. Oh, excellent, excellent. So he, uh, he leads you down the street, and there's uh, this area where they've got a bunch of, like, temporary forges set up. They've got, like, clay ovens. They kind of look like those, um, like, field ovens that they make uh, in the army where they, like, set stuff inside of a mud on fire inside of a mud pit, you know? <laughs> they make the little temporary field oven. So they've got these ovens and anvils and stuff set out, and they've uh, had all these different blacksmiths who are, uh, you know, stretching out their fingers, and, you know, some of them are polishing up their hammers and doing these different things. And, um, you know, you uh, approach the registrant's desk, and, you know, the human's eyebrows go up, and he says, Oh, we don't have many Grawl enter this competition. And what did you say your name was? You may call me Tulen. Ah, well, Tulin, uh, select an anvil, and we'll let you know when it's time to start. Thank you very much. After a little while, somebody comes by, he's kind of explaining the uh, rules of the competition to everybody, and he says, he comes up to you, he says, Okay, so, the goal of this, uh, of this competition is to forge a puzzle that is intricate and challenging. We've never had anybody win in both categories because usually the really intricate ones are pretty easy to solve because they don't have a whole lot of time to devote to making the puzzle complex if they're uh, in terms of solving it if they're making the parts very uh, intricate and fancy and and vice versa but uh, generally the best strategy is to choose one or the other but you know kid follow your heart do what you want to do the gong will go off in just a little bit do whatever prep work you feel you need to do I'm going to sketch out some ideas. I'm going to make like a puzzle box where, you know, there's like, you open this puzzle to get the key out to open this puzzle and so forth. And then perhaps as a prize, I will take the, the 10 gold pieces that that nice man gave me and put them in there after solving the final puzzle. 
So after a few minutes, the gong goes off and you can barely hear the gong's reverberation because there's, you know, there's metal being clanged all over the place as blacksmiths are picking things up with their tongues and shoving them into the fires to start heating up. And, you know, they're banging things out on their uh, anvils to try and shape metal before they stick it into the forges. And go ahead and give me an engineering roll for this. I uh, make it by one. All right. And let's see here. Okay. Uh, you spend some time working on your puzzle box there, and it may not be the best puzzle box in the world when the ending gong goes off, but boy, howdy, is it a lot better than the other puzzle boxes that are out there. A lot of these uh, blacksmiths, man, they just got so into the... Uh, time limit and they're like, oh my gosh they got so up in their head they started freaking out and just not very many of them produced very good things there's like real simple stuff and there's a few things that tried to get kind of fancy but you know they just didn't turn out very well and all of the pieces are presented to the judges and for the first time ever somebody has won in both categories and it is Tulin and he wins the prize uh, the prize is 500 gold, and a lot of the other uh, blacksmiths and forgers there are kind of giving him sour looks, like grumbling, you know, but they're walking off and throwing their gloves on the ground and things like that. What do you think Tulin's reaction is to all this? Well, I did have an unfair advantage because, you know, I have, I have studied under the best craftsmen. And I'm just naturally gifted. But thank you very much. I say I'll spend this money wisely. So it just so happens that this competition was also witnessed by none other than Fausta on her way back to the tourney grounds. She is going to walk up to Tulin and ask if she can try to solve the puzzle. Oh, please do. Okay. Do I have to roll anything for this? Uh, yeah, give me an IQ roll for that. All right. Let me get to my character sheet so I know what, uh, what I'm rolling against. I get 11, make it right on the nose. All right, so it takes you a good minute, but you do manage to solve Tulin's puzzle there. Oh, that was very good. Most people take much longer. Really? How much longer do they take? Well, it depends on the person. Usually this puzzle would take about 15 minutes uh, for a, a very clever person and uh, forever for someone who's not as clever. Okay. Have you met somebody who's not that clever i have met a lot of people who are not that clever okay so what brings you to the festival well i did not know there was a festival this is quite enjoyable i came here to meet with a craftsman in hopes that he could teach me something but to be perfect to be perfectly honest based on the stuff i've seen around here i'm not sure any of these people can teach me anything no well who's this craftsman uh, I forgot what his name is. Uh, he's an R.I. like you. I'm supposed to meet him here. And he pulls out his little note. Uh, I'm supposed to meet him here at this time. And Fausta, you are surprised when Tulin pulls out this note that you recognize the name on the paper. It is the name of your older brother. Aw, this is exciting. So I think Fausta, yeah. So she's going to be like, oh, I know him. He's, he's not a very good craftsman at all. But I think you 
really should visit his workshop just to see like what you shouldn't be doing. Would you would you like me to take you there? Oh yes, an introduction would be lovely. All right. Well, after you. So I think Fausta is going to take Tulin to meet her brother. All right. Now, um, I think as you guys are headed out to meet Fausta's brother, I think we are going to hop over to our last party member here. Uh, we are going to hop over to Wilhelm. Now, Wilhelm, uh, you have been doing some work recently on the docks. And the docks in South Tolonis are kind of interesting because it's a fairly safe port, which means it's really popular. So they've got like a multi-story docking station for the skyships where there's multiple stories that they can come in and dock at. Which means somebody with your particular skill set, uh, with the uh, rope skills that you developed as a side project in your career, uh, has an advantage because he can get between floors pretty quickly. Now you're um, working there and like, uh, tell us like what a typical work day for Wilhelm probably looks like here. Like, what do you think he's doing with festival time coming up and ships coming in? Like what's, what's he probably doing at about this time of the day? Hmm. I imagine that even with the festivals going on, there's still a lot of activity in the dock and maybe more so because of, uh, I, I imagine they try to keep shops well stocked and all that stuff going on so there's a lot of food shipments and other wares and probably you know loading things up for any entertainment or or other visiting troops of of people that are coming through so um yeah i imagine that he's pretty busy i mean he just in the docks he he does a little bit of everything he does what he's needed to do he's not he he does physical labor, so he helps move around crates and stuff. He's been working with the people who manage warehouses and stuff to try to get into more of a role where he can help secure better deals and work on logistics and stuff and kind of be the face who interacts with people if anybody has complaints um, because he used to spend a lot of time doing that as a living, as, as a diplomat, usually for the this crew of ships and stuff, he would negotiate with uh, all sorts of people, kind of whether it be business deals or or sometimes actual embassy. But he hasn't had a lot like that recently, so he's been trying to get his way back in there. I imagine right now he's probably been with more physical labor. All right. Well, it just so happens that this might be Wilhelm's lucky day because as he's moving some stuff around, one of the bosses comes out of one of the warehouses and he looks around and he says, well, for crying out loud, Jacob's not here yet. Who's seen Jacob? Everyone's shouting around for Jacob and finally somebody comes up. He says, oh, he's got that stomach bug that's going around. He's not going to be in today. Oh, by the seven. I need, you know, we've got a Havarg Hearthfleet coming in, looking to set up trade terms with one of the local merchant companies here. And, you know, there's a, one of the biggest herbalists in town. And I, I now I've got nobody to negotiate. Uh, oh, hey, hold on. Um, how, where am I in relation to them? Um, so you're probably not too far away. They just, like, step, stepped out of the door. So you're, like, maybe 10, 20 feet away, something like that, from where these guys are talking. All right, I, I thought I was going to have to make a, a rope roll, and I was like, oh boy. 
this might not end well. <laughs> and then he falls into the fog. Now, um, um, okay, I, I run over and I go, hey, I, I actually spent a, a lot of time with Earthfleet, so I have experience. I, I, know, I know what they're looking for, and you just gotta tell me what you're looking to get out of this, and we can work out a deal. Like I said, I've spent a lot of time with so the boss kind of uh, raises an eyebrow and he looks and he's like, you spent time with the Havarg? Yeah, no, they're great. Had a great time. Got too drunk too many times. Hmm. Oh, oh, I can't believe All right, fine. You're up, man, but you screw this up. You'll probably never work on the docks again. That, that sounds fair. <laughs> and I don't, think, I don't think he lets that shake him. He's like, okay. All right. They're going to be here any minute. Come on inside the office. All right. So uh, he leads you into the office there, and he shows you the business plan briefly that this uh, local herbalist has asked them to go with. So basically, this herbalist, he's trying to find like a lower cost for some of his um, less common items that he gets. This particular hearth fleet, they have a garden ship. So it's a ship where, like, the very top deck of it, they've built, like, a basically kind of like a raised bed. They've filled, like, the top two or three feet worth of decking full of, like, dirt and compost so that they can grow their own, like, food and herbs and stuff in the sky as they're going around. And this particular hearth fleet specializes in a type of flower that this herbalist uses that it's, it's used a lot like in healing poultices and things, but if grown under the wrong conditions, it can be poisonous instead. These Havard claim that they've managed to get the conditions in their garden ship to the point where this thing grows correctly for healing like every time. This herbalist, he wants to buy exclusive rights to buy this plant from them. It's not bad. So, um, in my experience, um, in my time traveling with uh, Hearth Fleets, how do they feel as somewhat of a, a nomadic um, community? How do they feel about exclusivity rights in, in their uh, merchant in their in mercantility? They're usually not a big fan of them because it doesn't lend itself to their nomadic way of life. Um, you know, if you've got a big stock of something, but the only place you can sell it is on the opposite end of the sky from where you're at right now, um, that doesn't really lend itself to uh, being able to make a profit off of it when you need to. So, you know, now they're more open to like, okay, when we're in this region or on, at this island, you can be our exclusive buyer when we're here, but they don't like to give people exclusivity like through the whole sky. Okay. Is the herbalist going to be in this meeting? Like, are they going to be there? Or are they having other people, i.e. me, speak for them? Yeah, they're having other people at the dock speak for them. All right. Well, we'll see how this goes. Uh, what else? What are other questions I would... Hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, I think we'll... Let's see how things unfold and see what, what we come up with here. So... The Havarg come in, and you can tell right away uh, which one is the matriarch. She's got a, like, a very nice cape on, and it's got, like, these nice big shoulder pad things on. It's a little fancy from what you would normally see a Hearthfleet matriarch wearing, but um, she pulls it off, and she sits down. Now, for our listeners, we've used this uh, name of this species several times, and we have yet to explain what they are. So the Havarg... 
they are a very large humanoid species. They are, in their origins, they were originally, uh, they're the offspring of a group of people who were half ogre and half orc. That's where the term Havarg comes from. So they tend to stand about eight to 10 feet tall and they are very physically strong and imposing. And they do have some little uh, tusks that come out of their bottom lip, kind of like an orc might have. So she sits down, she's got a group of her people there with her. She's got a couple other uh, women who are captains of ships in her fleet. And then she's got some young people who are just there to kind of watch and learn from the experience that are kind of hanging back. She comes in and sits down and the boss offers her something to drink and she uh, politely declines it. She says, no, um, we prefer to speak business before we indulge. And it just was her rookie mistake, man. <laughs> I don't know anything about them. Um, all right, and because I'm saying that, I should probably... Um, are there certain customs that I would know about in, you know, speaking business? How I imagine I know how the Havarg like to do things, how the hearth fleet likes to work. So most hearth fleets, it's customary uh, when talking about business with someone outside the fleet to offer information first. So since they're a nomadic people, they usually talk about the weather conditions that you've run across or, oh, yes, we just came from this direction. There was a storm or, um, you know, did you hear about this thing that was happening at this island that we just passed? And they, you know, it's customary for both sides to offer something of value in terms of information before discussing what you would like from the other person. Okay, well, I'd like to pull that off. Have there been any fog swells nearby they might want to be aware of? Yes, actually, there was recently a fog swell that was reported kind of in between the sky area in between Talonis and Dragon's Peak. There was a uh, an unusually large fog swell reported there that a couple of ships were caught up in. And uh, what direction did, did the fleet come in from? Uh, they just came in from the south. All right. Um, well, I'll offer up to them, you know, like, I hope as as you leave here that you take caution going to the north. Uh, there was a large fog reported just recently. Uh, some ships fell to it, so I know how dangerous it can be out there. Hmm. We thank you for your kind words. You should know that there are an interestingly large number of ships headed toward this island. They don't appear to be merchant ships, and yet they do not appear to be hostile. We're not entirely certain of their purpose, but there are a good number of them coming. That is interesting. I wonder if there's some uh, naval fleets moving around. I, I don't know. I guess I'll have to keep an ear out for, for anything. Thanks for the heads up. Of course. Now, your uh, client desired this meeting with us in regards to, um, well, this. And she pulls from under her cloak the plant in question. She holds it up and let's see, what are we going to call this plant? Do, do, do. This is, we're going to say this is Dalshera root. Interesting. All right. And uh, what does it look like? So the actual root part of it is like a, it's kind of orangey, sort of like a sweet potato. And um, the plant part of it looks kind of like a purple dandelion. And I'm, and I'm just like, that's quite a beautiful flower that grows. Yes, we've uh, grown quite fond of it. We use it in many of our uh, tinctures, you know, to uh, help with dry eye and other sorts of things that one tends to uh, run into when one lives in the sky. Yeah, I can see how a, a plant like this would have a lot of versatility and utility. 
Um, I do understand, though, it is quite difficult to uh, produce the right conditions for it, and that uh, when it goes bad, it tends to go really bad. How do you know that you've uh, come upon that solution? I understand you'd want to keep your practices more private, of course. She says, hmm, I appreciate your saying that. Most people who want to buy from us uh, don't really want to buy the plant from us. They merely want to find out our growing secrets. Well, I can tell you that we have not had a fatality from this plant in, well, 15 years that we've been sailing now. Wow, that is quite impressive. Is there any way you can tell if a crop maybe hasn't been cultivated correctly? Oh yes, there are ways to tell. There are certain uh, smells unleashed when you cut the root in a particular way, and uh, other means of determining whether the poison has set in. I won't lie, it's not my uh, area of expertise, but I, I love learning. So, um, as I'm sure you may have heard, our client here is looking for a sort of uh, exclusivity in procuring the crop in order to sell here in, here in the city. I'm here in Telonus. How do you feel about that? Give me an observation roll. Okay. I get that one right on the nose. I rolled a 12. My skill is 12. So as the matriarch speaks, you notice her two captains uh, flanking her there kind of stiffen a little bit. And you see some of the younger people behind her are not, you know, they're... You know, some of them are kind of rolling their eyes and they're doing different things that suggest that not everybody in the fleet is necessarily on board with the matriarch's decision here. But she says, well, although we don't normally like to offer exclusive terms, um, if the deal is good enough, we would certainly consider it. This plant has a very particular market, and so for the right terms, we might be willing to give him our uh, exclusive stock. Um, I guess quick question for the GM, um, and it's, it's for Wilhelm. So he noticed that there's a little, uh, unspoken dissent here. Um, how do the Havarg feel about things like that being pointed out? So Havarg, who are in a leadership role, um... I mean, just like anybody in a leadership role, they're not going to be particularly happy about being, like, undermined or having something point out that, like, you know, they're not going to be happy about somebody saying, hey, you're making the wrong choice. But at the same time, uh, the Havarg and the Hearth fleets, they, they really value, like, open and honest communication about things. So, you know, the, the matriarch may not necessarily be happy about something like that being pointed out, but the rest of the Havarg there might actually appreciate it. I understand that I have a client that I'm I'm working with, but I I'm I also have a fondness for the time I spent traveling with the Hearth Fleet. So um, I guess I'm just gonna point out, like I I remember uh, in my time traveling with the Hearth Fleet that I know that uh, when it came to trading, they they often didn't like to limit themselves in customers. Are you sure this isn't going to be a problem for you? Or if there's maybe some other terms that could be worked out that will be agreeable to both parties. I understand there's a lot of stops away from Neretik to, to Lonus here. And, you know, not a lot of these markets intersect. One of the young Havarg in the back chooses this moment to speak up. And he says, yes, why would we limit ourselves and have a uh, plant growing that we can't move? taking up valuable food space on our own ship just to give some human the 
exclusive right to pay us less than he pays anyone else. And the uh, matriarch sort of uh, hoods her eyes and she turns around and glances at the youngster and she says, The agreement of you coming to this meeting was that you would watch and learn, my son. Well, I certainly seem to be learning a lot about rolling over and giving people who aren't even from the fleet everything that they want, mother. And one of the uh, other captains stands up and says, You will speak to your matriarch with more respect than that, young man. All right, um, so maybe I just sort of more trouble than I meant to. So I go, hypothetically, in a perfect world, what does this suitable offer for exclusivity look like for you? So the matriarch sort of takes a deep breath and settles herself a little bit, and she says, Well, in my mind, a suitable offer for exclusivity means that when we arrive here with stock, he cannot refuse to buy it for the price that he is offering. If he hasn't used all of it up, he still has to purchase at least a portion of the stock that we have. This guarantees that we can move at least some of the plant when we need to move some, as opposed to having a large stockpile that will eventually go bad. She tosses over her shoulder at her son. I can see exactly why that would be a problem. A spoiled stock doesn't sell. Are, are some of the uh, other, like, of the herbalists other interested parties here, or am I just really winging this all on my own? Uh, you're pretty much just on your own here. I mean, the, the warehouse boss is there, but he's not, like, directly. I mean, he's kind of working for the herbalist, but he's not really one of them. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to ask what the offer is. They're offering like a fixed price for the good, and it's a price that's kind of, it's low for this plant, but it definitely still covers, um, they would definitely still be making a profit off of selling it. And essentially the uh, agreement in terms of how much stock moves is that he'll buy like a certain percentage of the stock that he needs from them exclusively, but if he needs some when they happen to not be in the area, like he can buy it from other sources. That's fine. That's that's the process. He's given you like a little range that you can work in. Yeah, that would make sense. Um. Well, all right. I, I'm, I'm just wondering. Do I just tell them like this is? Do I know if he has like a hard cutoff? Because of course this is negotiation. So it's like, of course we've got like this is our ideal, but where do we go? This is the point we won't go past. So the price that he's offering up front is like three gold for an ounce. He's willing to go as high as like the absolute highest he's willing to go, although he would really prefer not to go that high as like eight gold an ounce. Uh, this stuff usually sells for 10, 11, sometimes 12 if it's really high quality. Wow. He's really trying to just scam them, isn't he? Woof. I guess this is where I'm going to start. I'm just going to tell them my client is looking for three golden ounce. So the uh, matriarch raises an eyebrow and she says, hmm, we can produce cheaply, but not that cheaply. Well, how cheaply can you produce? You recognize this is a tactic that she's sort of uh, buying herself some time by, you know, pretending that she's, you know, considering it and looking around at different things and, you know, like eyeballing with one of her captains there. She says, we were considering more in the realm of seven an ounce might be fair. Hmm. I'm going to just politely ask, like, have you had issues moving the stock recently? Do you have surplus? She says, well, we've had a surplus more often than we would like, yes. 
How does five sound? And so I think with putting a definitive offer on the table here, we are going to do a diplomacy roll. Okay. Let's, uh, I was going to say this would be the worst thing to crit on. That's my highest skill. But no, I made that by seven. I rolled an eight. My skill's 15. All right. So the uh, matriarch kind of confers with her captains a little bit there, and she says, uh, it may be lower than we were hoping for, but we can still turn a profit at five. And of course, our client will honor the agreement that every time you stop in, he has to accept stop if it's going to be exclusive in this way. Yes, if he agrees to those terms, we will agree to that. All right, then uh, just for you, Aaron, uh, I take it we take this back to the herbalist for the final say, or or do I just kind of say, all right, and uh, people will speak again shortly. We'll get this drafted up. Yeah, so I think at that point, the boss steps in too, and he says, well, we'll make sure that uh, that we get this deal to our client, and I'm, I'm sure he'll probably uh, he'll probably sign it. Oh, yo, thank you so much. Oh, we uh, we, oh, we really appreciate you being willing to deal with our client here in the city, and the matriarch looks at him, and she says, I do not care for you. Be silent. And I just tell him, go get a drink. You're being a little thirsty. <laughs> Do the Havark have any kind of uh, greeting and parting manners? I guess this might be a savoir faire role. See if I screw this up. Oh, yes, there's a, um, a type of bow that they do, but it's kind of a different sort of bow because since they're on ships a lot, they don't want to get knocked over by the wind while they're bowing. So they kind of do it with a way that sort of makes them a narrower target for the wind. So there's not as much for them to get buffeted by. Oh, uh, yeah, give me a savoir faire role for that. Let's screw this up. Oh, guess what? I nail it. Just like, bam. I, I made it by two. Nice. The matriarch is very impressed by uh, your decorum in this. And before she leaves, she says, You seem to know a bit about our ways. Are, are you familiar with the uh, Hearthfleet tradition of the uh, third mate's pilgrimage? Am I? So yes, this is definitely something that you encountered in your time with the Havarg. The third mate's pilgrimage is... You know how sometimes in Amish communities, uh, young people will take like a year and they'll go out into the outside world to kind of experience the rest of it before coming back? The, the Rumspringa? Yeah, the Rumspringa. It's a bit like that. So uh, young people who have risen up a bit through the ranks in the hearth fleet are given a year to go out and like serve on other ships or stay on islands or you know do other things and then the fleet comes back and collects them uh, a year later so they can kind of get some real world experience under their belt i tell her of course i actually learned a lot about the hearth fleet from others on their pilgrimage and uh it really inspired me to want to spend some time uh working with the earth fleet and and being out there uh at least that was probably a decade ago now it's been uh, a little while since i've been actively working out on ships Hmm. Well, we have a uh, number of young people from our fleet who are looking for an opportunity to set out on the pilgrimage. However, they are hoping to stay together as a crew. If you know of anybody looking for skilled crewmen, we would be much obliged if you would let us know. Gladly. How long will you be in port? I'll keep my, I'll keep my eyes open. At least through the end of the festival. Well, I hope you enjoy your time at the festival and... Uh, absolutely. I'll see you off and I'll, I'll let you know. Thank you. And the matriarch gives you a, uh, another bow and then the Havarg turn to leave. 
and the uh, warehouse boss comes up and like slaps you on the back and like, oh, I did not think that was going to go that well. Hey, I've been bothering you for a while now about doing this kind of work, so you remember that. Oh, you bet. You bet. Oh, I'll tell you. And he's just got a big old smile on his face as he's headed out to go do the uh, paperwork. And around this time, your shift has come to an end. So what do you think Wilhelm's going to do at the end of his shift? Um, I don't know. What's going on with the festival? I imagine he wants to get out there and kind of see some stuff. He's feeling pretty good. He hasn't uh, flexed that muscle, as it were, in quite a while. So he might be feeling like, oh, I'm going to go get a nice funnel cake or something. So um, as you're headed out, you hear some of your work buddies talking there. They're talking, headed down to the festival. And one of them calls you over. He says, hey, hey, Willem. Hey, uh, hey, we were just talking about we're going to go down and see the fighting tournament at the festival. Yeah, what do you think? Got to be a good time. We can get some drinks, watch some people pummel each other. Oh, boy. Um, he, he gets a little visibly, like, uncomfortable, but, you know, he hasn't been out for a while. He's like, I, I guess. I mean, fighting's not really my thing, but, you know, yeah, I'll come. I'll come have a drink with you guys. Are you sure there's nothing else you'd like to see? It's definitely the fighting, huh? Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I hear they have some real good contenders this year. They did the preliminaries earlier today. Now, there's even some hour-eye fighting this year. You ever seen that stuff that they do with the, you know, they've got the swords and the talons at the same time? It's really cool. Ooh, yeah, that's uh, a great way to lose an eye. Uh, oh, boy, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, what time? What time's this happening? Hey, right now. We're headed there now. Oh, gosh, I, I feel around my pockets. I'm like, do I have my stuff? It's about that time for me to for me to take my meds. Ah, oh, there it is. It's in my pocket. Like, okay, yeah, let me just let me go grab some water. I gotta I need to drink some water before we get too wasted, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, what are you, the designated steamer tonight? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes. Oh well. Uh, let's yeah, let's let's do this. All right. So you uh, make your way down to the to the fighting ring where the tournament is just getting underway as you guys take your beats. And Fausta, you are there and you are getting ready to compete in this tournament. And it's getting on towards evening now. Um, and so the fights are happening in this central ring there where there were those big statues of the warriors around. And as dusk slowly comes on, you can see that uh, some of the rock... Uh, that is mixed in with these statues has like a uh, luminescent quality to it. So as it gets darker, it starts to glow and it gives the arena this sort of eerie windswept battlefield sort of look to it with this strange glowing light. So I think the way we are going to handle uh, the first few rounds of the tournament here... Uh, Fausta, go ahead and give me a roll against your... Uh, fighting skills to do uh, whichever ones like I know. So you have, um, let's say you took the talent fighting skill too as well, right? Yes, I did. All right. So um, give it be a roll for, give me a roll for your rapier skill and give me a roll for your talent fighting skill. And then we'll do some opposing rolls here and we'll see how well you do in the opening rounds of this thing. All right. So. Rapier skill. I got a 
14 out of 11. God, I was off to such a good start. These dice jinxed the crap out of me. Um, And then I got a 13 out of 9 on the talent feat skill. So. All right. And let's see here. How does our other contestants do? So Fausta fights hard and she makes it through the early rounds of the tournament. But it's it is a hard fought way there. She gets some scrapes and some bruises and she's bleeding in a couple of spots. And she's just, oh man, she's, she is a hurting unit by the time it comes to the semifinals. And who does she end up facing in the semifinals? It is none other than Vamor, once again, with his dual rapiers. And so as uh, he's entering the ring before the match starts, he looks at you and he says, My, my, been playing a little rough, have we? What do you mean? Well, you look a bit the worse for wear, darling. Speak for yourself. Sir. Oh, I tend to like to let these do the speaking. And he like spins around and does like this unnecessarily fancy thing with his swords. And uh, the crowd, of course, loves it. And at that moment, the gong goes off. So uh, give me a dex roll to see who gets the first hit in. Okay. I rolled a 15. Oh my. <laughs> so, Vamor gets the first strike to do. Let's see how he does. So, one of his blades misses terribly. The other one hits. Okay, I'm going to parry. And I got a 13 out of 11. Nope, 10. Sorry, 13 out of 10. Okay, so his blade jabs you right in the gut, which makes it your turn. And again, the weapons are blunted, so you can't actually kill each other. (laughs) Okay, lunging with the rapier. And I actually make something. I got an eight out of 11. And he does not succeed in defending himself. Like he miserably does not succeed in defending himself. (laughs) So you get a hit in on him and... He staggers back and he finally uh, takes one of his swords and just kind of like swings it at you as he's backing away. He's just like, oh, not even like flourishing or anything. Oh, oh, good one, darling. And he uh, takes another dive at you with his swords. (laughs) We have our first crit fail of the campaign. So, so as Vamor comes for you, and not only did he crit fail, he crit failed with both swords, mind you. Oh my gosh. So he runs in kind of, you know, stabbing with one and bringing the other in and around. And he trips over a tile in the arena floor and he tries to catch himself on his forward blade. But instead of successfully catching himself on the blade, the blade just like comes up and he ends up like punching himself in the stomach with the hilt of one of his swords. And meanwhile, the other one comes swinging around and he <laughs> it hits his uh, forehead. The blade goes falling down and just like boom, stabs right into one of his feet. <laughs> So he falls down like flat onto his face. You know, one of his swords like sticking into his own gut and the other one just like collapsed next to his feet and uh, the gong rings and Faustus declared the victor. <laughs> and uh, Faustus final opponent ends up being a, uh, of all things, your final opponent ends up being a Brindy. And it's a little six foot tall female. I, 
I think you mean six inch. I just wanted to clear that up for listeners. Oh, did I say foot instead? Yeah, a very oh, small yes. six foot. <laughs> <laughs> a very small six foot person. Yeah, very small. Slight. Six inch. <laughs> Brandy, and she's uh, she has no weapons. She's just standing there in the arena, looking at you with her arms crossed. Okay. Shoot. Um. I thought, what kind of tournament is this? Where's your weapon? She uh, looks up at you and she holds up a fist and she says, it's right here. So the uh, Brindy kind of does like the uh, knuckle crack thing, you know, she stretches her arms out and cracks the knuckles. And then she's, <laughs> and she kind of points off to the side and she says, what's that? And yeah, totally look over, maybe like expect to dodge something like, ah, fuck, is something flying at me? So when Fausta looks over, the Brindy leaps into the air and takes a flying kick at Fausta's head. <laughs> so let's see. Give me a, um, Fausta, give me a perception roll to see if you notice her coming at you in time to react. 11, 13. Um, yep, nope. All right. So the uh, Brindy comes flying at your head and her foot connects and she connects with a surprising amount of force for such a little person. Um, give me a give, give me a health roll right quick. Oh, no, she connected that good. Um, OK. Hey, I got it. All right, so you do manage to stay on your feet, but you definitely go staggering back a little ways, and the uh, Brindy does like a backflip off of your head and lands, and like crosses her arms again. She says, huh, I'm impressed. You're still on your feet. I think Faust is going to cross her arms and be like, well, what did you expect? I have had training. Yeah, I suppose you've had training with your little pokey thing there. Uh, I do wish more people would get my kind of training. It might make these things a bit more of a challenge. And tell me she's going to jump at me again, because I really want to, like, catch her in my claw. Just like, <laughs> that's the route that we're going to go. Like, just full hunting owl mode and just dive bomb the Brindy with her feet. Yep, that's what Faust is going to do. So I'm guessing this is the talent feet skill. Is there anything else I need to roll with or roll for? Uh, yeah, just give me the, the talent fighting rule for this one. I got a seven out of nine. She dodges out of the way. So she kind of rolls out of the way and she takes a, uh, she runs up, she takes a swing at you, but that one misses because you're still moving from the talon strike. And she kind of rolls back and takes the arms crossed position there. And she says, mm, not bad, a little slow. Oh my gosh, this is so annoying. Fausta's gonna look up in the at the crowd, hands up, be like, what do you expect me to do? I can't catch this thing. And then she's gonna dive for this rude little critter again. And I got a five out of nine. Do 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 okay, so this time she does not manage to dodge out of the way. And you do uh, manage to get her in your talents. She does not, however, look particularly concerned about this. She kind of looks up at you and says, ah, quick learner, I see. I like that. I like that. My God, I literally have you in my clutches. Oh, right, that. Hmm. Well, I suppose we ought to finish things then, huh? And then you see like a, uh, like a shimmer around her, like a energy wave kind of thing go around her. So she like grabs the upper part of your foot and she twists her body like she does like one of those martial arts twists where they use like their body as leverage kind of. So she tries to like leverage herself inside of your foot to like pull you to the ground. And she has like a 
surprising level of strength like a six inch creature should not theoretically be this strong because she like almost manages to bring you down uh give me a strength roll right quick um yeah i rolled a 12 my strength's at 10 all right so she flips you down like she manages to pull like you use your uh like pull your joint in a way where it like brings the rest of you down with it like she pulls on your hip joint as she's pulling on this and it brings the rest of you down to the floor and somehow like when you're falling down to the floor she slips out of your talon and leaps up and she like jumps onto your face and she kind of crosses her arms and squats down and looks right down into your face and she says oh my 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 better challenge than most hm. look forward to doing this again and at that point the victory gong is rung and the brindy is declared the champion so the um Officiants announce, and our champion for this year, Chi Master Ernessa! And they all, you know, the crowd starts clapping. All right. Um, well, I guess it's going to be the same thing as what happened in the preliminaries, and Faust is going to stand up and dust herself off, try not to look annoyed or offended, and be as proud and regal as she can be after just getting her ass kicked by a six-inch tall critter. So, um, Agnera there, he meets you just outside the ring and he says, Well, it was a good fight, miss. I do believe I spotted an old acquaintance in the audience that it might behoove you to go speak with, uh, you know, family relations and all. Is, is it really that important? Oh, I believe it is. The man is a diplomat. Fine. Do I have to change? No, I think, considering that he came to see this event, it won't particularly matter what you're wearing, miss. All right, let's go do diplomat things. So, Wilhelm, what's your reaction to, like, seeing the finals of the tournament here? Like, how are you feeling at this point? Um, well, um, Wilhelm isn't really a big fan of... He's seen a few things go south, you know, in his time when he's been on ships, so it just... He tries not to spend a lot of time watching it, but um, I think from his seating, seeing a person just, like, look like they just got tossed around by nothing, because, of course, you know, the one doing the around tossing was six inches tall. He's just kind of, uh, he's kind of shocked. I don't know, he probably feels very uncomfortable. And then he hears it's a Brindy, and he sighs a little bit of relief. That, okay, okay, this is, this is something I know about. This is still not great. He hasn't touched, he hasn't touched much of his beer. Okay. You're still sitting there at the table when um, an Aurai comes up to you. He says, ah, Master Wilhelm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, that's me. To, to what do I owe the pleasure? Do I know you? Well, um, yes, we have met a few times in the past, although it has been a number of years. Uh, you were at one time a liaison to the family that I serve in the Aurai Nation. May I introduce one of the triplets of the family? This is Miss Fausta. Absolutely, and he sees that this is the combatant that was just in the finals, and he kind of freezes up. <laughs> just... Um, and reaches out. He's just taken aback. He's like, oh, wow. Um, pleasure. You, I imagine you did great out there. Faust is gonna look over at Wagnera and raise a, an eyebrow, like... And, uh, I, I think Wilhelm realizes how that came out, and he goes, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm not, uh, 
I'm not really a, a big fan of, of combat and, and violence, so I, I try to uh, I try not to watch too intently. Uh, of course, your match was more a sight to behold than the others. Second eyebrow goes up at Wagnera. Um, oh, geez. Oh, thank you. It's it's a pleasure getting to host host you in under such great circumstances. Yes, uh, the pleasure's mine. Miss Fausta is just recently preparing for her graduation project from the University of Telonus. That's that is a uh, that is a prestigious institution. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that's my alma mater. Good job. Uh, I'm glad to hear it. What's your what's your project? Well, I mean. Nothing as exciting as diplomacy. Um, I am putting together a scientific investigation team to look into the reappearance of the fathomless heaven. Um, that takes Wilhelm by surprise, and he just states, I didn't realize they were allowing anybody to investigate. I, I heard that uh, communications were happening between the High Perch and Farathi uh, in terms of who even has the right to investigate it. It's out in open air, as I understand. How are you going to get on? I have my ways. Have, have you heard of the Dragon's Hand? Um, I have. I've heard a bit about them. Um, they're a philanthropic group. So it's a private investigation that uh, they are doing outside of the sectors of the government. But um, with my connections, I'm sure there's no problem. There will be no problem getting aboard. And he raises his eyes and says, oh, um, huh, that is that is interesting. Um, it is... I can tell you from experience, it's no small feat getting through obstacles as large as two nations bickering with each other for who has the right to what. So it sounds like you might need some assistance with this. Just so happens that uh, I'm well versed in the, the laws of many different groups and nations and in how to convince others to see eye to eye here. Would you happen to be looking for somebody who can act as an asset or, or help work out deals? Fausta is going to look at Wagnera and then <laughs> pull her notebook out and pen, pencil in hand, like go down the list of things. Diplomat, question mark, look at Wagnera again, um, raise an eyebrow, like, help! And I'll, I'll ask also, or you wouldn't happen to be looking for a crew, would you? Um, I just got done uh, negotiating some uh, commerce between the hearth fleet that is docked in our lovely city here and an herbalist in town. And it turns out some of their younger members are about to take their um, pilgrimage, where they get to spend a, a year off fleet and learn about the world. And you couldn't ask for better crewmen than fleet. Let me tell you. Might I point out, Miss Fausta, it would be quite useful considering the involvement of the Verathi Armada in the blockade of the Fathomless Heaven to have someone from this region there as well, although your own presence will certainly help with our eye contingent. Yes, I, I believe I will accept this offer. And then I think she's going to, like, stick out a hand to shake it and look at Wagner like, this is how we, we do deals, right? <laughs> I kind of feel like this is a fun opportunity for both of us to do a Savoir Faire role. <laughs> like, whose <laughs> customs do we follow here? 
Because <laughs> I've I've worked with Aurai, so I know their customs to some degree. But also, like, it feels like she this is her first thing. So, what do you say, GM? Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how this plays out. So let's uh, let's have the dueling savoir <laughs> rolls here. Opposed manners. <laughs> okay, I rolled a twelve, and that happens to be my skill. I rolled a nine, and my savoir skill is eleven. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna raise my eyebrows. Like, all right, yeah, here we go. Very impressed with your manners. I'm not gonna say that out loud. He's gonna like heartily shake his hand and then let go and maybe do a half curtsy as well just like just for good measure do the Aurai have a special bow that i do like can i do they do things with their wings and i can kind of do something with my lats to make it look like i'm, I'm <laughs> spreading some wings yeah, so the um when the Aurai are doing like a respectful bow they'll sort of like bring their wings up so that when they bow like their wingtips are sort of facing the other person because that's like a very vulnerable position like you could grab the other person's wingtip or something so it's like a show of respect okay i'll try to replicate that bow yeah i think fausta is going to nod and well we've made ourselves a deal all right. So, Tulin, you have been spending some time with Tulianus, and uh, Tulianus is a craftsman who he really likes to work with glass. And he's been looking at like different ways to mount glass and things like that. And he's like on the brink of a discovery for a way that. You know, you could mount glass into the side of an airship and have it, like, really hold up um, without as much, like, shield. Like, right now, uh, airships, you know, when they have portholes on the side and stuff, they have to have all kinds of metal shielding on them. So you can see, like, little slivers out, but they don't usually put very big portholes or anything in the sides of skyships because there's just too much potential for them to shatter and breaks. But he's he thinks he might be on like the verge of a breakthrough that would actually allow like the lower decks of a skyship to have like a nice big picture window or something like that. And so the two of you have kind of been like geeking out about possibilities with this. Um, how does that look? Well, that's a fascinating idea. Perhaps, perhaps if we took two pieces of glass and put them together, perhaps with something in between, something that you could see through, but that wasn't glass. Mm. Well, that's an interesting idea. Something you can see through that's not glass. Ah, well, I mean, there's always air, but air wouldn't do much. Um, hmm, other things you can see through that aren't glass. What about... Oh, Hadral hair! Hadral hair is see-through! Oh, that's a lovely idea. I've not experienced with it myself, but I have heard that it is virtually indestructible. Hmm. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Oh, maybe it is. It is. Oh, we should find out about that. But then, of course, the question becomes, how would we, how would we mount it between the panes? How would we... We would need some sort of adhesive, or perhaps we could just melt the glass onto it. Hmm. Now there's an interesting idea. Oh. Yes. Perhaps we could weave it into a lattice and then pour hot glass over it and roll it flat. I wonder if there are any Hadral who'd be willing to donate some hair for this. Well, there you've got me. I've never met a Hadral. Oh, we simply must find one. Oh, so we can see if they're willing to give us a shave so we can figure this out. Yes, 
And it's right about this point of the conversation that uh, Fausta and Wagnera arrive back at the shop and they walk in on you guys having this talk about mounting Hadral hair between glass. Brother, that's not a kind thought to have. They're people, for God's sake. Well, of course, but, but hair grows back, doesn't it, Tulin? Uh, Tulin rubs his head and says, Well, I don't have any personal experience, but from what I've seen of the dwarves, they have hair everywhere. Well, Julianus kind of brings one of his wings around and looks at it. He says, come to think of it, I don't have much experience with hair either. Well, I assume that it grows back. Now, um, quick question. Do you think Wilhelm would have come with you guys to the shop here? Or would he have gone back home after you guys talked at the tourney grounds? I think Wilhelm's very excited that he has potential work again, like his work. So I think he could be game to tag along. That probably comes down to Fausta, then. Would you have mentioned that you were going to go see one of the other crew members you'd recruited? Um, I think I would mention that she's headed over to meet a potential member of the crew um, and get to know him a little bit better before um, offering him any sort of position. All right. So all this is to say that Wilhelm is there and uh, <laughs> Julianus kind of leans over to Tulin there and thinks he's being quiet, but isn't actually really being quiet and says, Hey, my sister brought a human. They all probably know a lot about hair. We should ask him if it grows back. Excuse me, sir. We were wondering, since neither of us actually have hair of our own, does it grow back? Um, yes. Uh... It does. Although for some people, um, it doesn't always grow back up here. And he gestures to the the top, and he's like, "That's that, that's kind of an age thing." Yes, I have always I've noticed that among some of the older dwarves, I had always hypothesized that they have thought too much throughout their lives and burned the hair off, and it will no longer grow. Uh, it's kind of hit or miss, but yeah, um, the the singeing. That'll come back. Depends on how bad the burn is. It's quite the romantic notion. I like it. Actually, how it works, though, <laughs> on dwarves. I just, I just kind of give her that, like, squint. Like, do you mean that? Are you kidding me? I, I don't say it out loud. I'm like, well, I'm not a dwarf, so I suppose I don't. I'm not an expert on the matter. Well, no, no, that's a silly thought. So Tulin just reaches up to Wilhelm's head and just grabs a hair and yanks it. <laughs> Ooh, this is surprisingly strong for how thin it is. I go, oh boy, ah, hey. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, there's a lot of it there. It's, uh, it's kind of painful. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, my eyes are watering. See, it hurts them. Well, if, <laughs> if it continues to grow, why is it not all the way to the floor? He goes, oh, wow, yeah, you're new here. Uh, well, we cut it. We do a lot of fun things with it. People like it to look different. Styles change. Is it not painful? Uh, the hair itself, no. Um, the skin it's attached to is what causes pain, like when you grabbed it and pulled on my head. The hair itself, though, no, no feeling. I see. So perhaps we could cut the hair and not harm the person who's donating it. And he's just wanders off mumbling to himself about hair and uh, its amazing properties. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting kid there. Yes, I think he may be going places. Say, you look familiar. Have you ever visited the old homestead? 
Does does he look familiar to me? Um, since I've done dealings with with the family. Um, not as familiar as like Wagner does, but you know you've seen him before. Okay, I go. Yeah, I I do believe I've done some work for your family before, as uh, Mara has informed me, has reminded me. Mm. Yeah, I reach out a hand and I go. You know, Wilhelm, pleasure to meet you. Oh, yes, I remember now. You were at that, um, that fancy dinner thing that, uh, mother and father had to throw uh, a few years back with the, um, oh, honestly, I don't pay much attention to the Stritcher cast nonsense we have to do these days. Uh, some sort of, uh, celebrating, oh, I don't know, the High King farted or something like that. But uh, I remember you were, uh, quite good company that night. I do try. It's in my best interests. I had a good time. Yes. Now, I think, oh, if I recall, I believe you were instrumental in helping me get this shop, weren't you? That's right. I look around and I, I go, oh, yes, of course. Uh, man, they, boy, they, they were really trying to pull the wool over your eyes in that one. Um, they, they were trying I'm to... I'm going to send you something in uh, Messenger here, Jay. Okay. That your character remembers. All right, I like that. Oh, um, okay, so that's interesting. And I go, yes, yes, of course. The, uh, yeah, I do remember helping you get this shop. I hope everything's been going well for you. Um, have, have you been well? Have you been safe? Safe and sound. I know this neighborhood, you know, sometimes. Ugh. Yes. Well, uh, I, I certainly haven't had any unexpected visitors. That's been a good thing. Yes, I'm. I'm glad we could have that arranged. And I, and I look. Actually, I look back at Faust, and I go, "Of course, yes. You're. Uh, you're part of the Miracle Clutch, aren't you? That would explain it. Well, um, I feel like they're talking in code. What are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing. Um, I know your brother here was looking for some place to live where he could get some peace and quiet, and we were able to find that for him. He has very important work, and, and uh, disturbances are contraindicative to that. That's beside the point. What is the point, even? Where were we? I dropped the hair. These little buggers are very hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. I'll tell you, sister, this, uh, this young Grawl here, he has quite the mind. We've been talking uh, while you've been gone, and I have to say I'm quite impressed. Did he show you the puzzle box he made? Oh, yes. For the amount of time it was built in, that was very impressive. I would love to see what he could do with a skyship. Indeed. Uh, Tulin, do you have any hopes of going on a skyship? Ooh, yes. I have heard so many stories about skyships from the dwarves who have served on crews and returned. There are a great many questions I have. Oh, what kind of questions do you have? Well, it seems to me that if you have the power to float a ship in the air, you should be able to harness that power for other things besides floating. Oh, like what? Well, for example, rather than the mundane catapults and, uh, you know, those big crossbow things, uh, ballistas, I think they're called. Rather than those, you could use steam power to hurl a projectile at alarming speeds. Hmm. Now that is some interesting thinking right there. Ah, uh, I know some folks back home that would like to get their hands on that brain. Please do not put your hands on my brain. I am still using it. And a good thing, too. And a good thing. That's right. Well, uh, you haven't laid down any terms of contract for apprenticeship or anything yet, have you? 
Oh, no, certainly not yet. <laughs> we haven't uh, gotten that far, have we, Tulin? Well, I think she's going to put her hands on his shoulders and I think she's going to whisper, uh, forgive me, you can have him when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Tulin pipes up and says, wow, that is very flattering. But unfortunately, I am not in a position to take on an apprentice at this point. I told you that my brother could learn a few things from you. Oh, his work with glass is wonderful. It's not a medium that I have used myself very much. Hmm. Well, um, if you, uh, aren't opposed, we can always come back and visit him. But, um, if you would like to go on a journey on a skyship, I just happen- Oh, that would be lovely. Where are we going? Have you heard of the Fathomless Heaven? Yes. Everyone's heard of the Fathomless Heaven. Well, that is where we're going. Didn't it, like, disappear, like, 50 years ago? It- certainly did, but it's reappeared. Ooh! I have not heard that news. Yes. It has reappeared, and it it's a ghost ship. Nobody came back with it, and there's no corpses. Well, that's unfortunate. But I would love to get my hands on the Fathomless Heaven, just so I can see how it works. There were so many technological advances included in that ship. That's right. Well, if you would be interested you're more than welcome to to join us on on this adventure um you know it's it's not going to be free i imagine that the ship whatever ship we use might need some maintenance and upgrades well i can certainly help there that's what i thought well tulin welcome to the crew